What do you believe higher education, uh, Chris, at its best, can can provide for young adults? Well, this is actually when when I teach my my classes at Michigan, I the first very first thing I say is uh, is you know what is the purpose of higher education, and I cite. Um, everybody's favorite answer, at least most faculty members and administrators, and that, that is uh, to teach critical thinking. And then I kind of roll my eyes about that, and I say critical thinking is important, but it's critical thinking about the right things. And then I, I quote, um, um, I believe it's Plato, who said that the purpose of education is to teach uh, young, young people to find pleasure in the, in the right things. So um, I may be um, somewhat in the minority, but I believe the purpose of education is is to help help our students live a a good life, a rewarding life, a life that matters. You may be familiar that uh, UCLA uh, they come out with the CIRP freshman survey every year, and uh, the 2009 uh, survey freshman survey results had been well off financially as a top goal. I think 78% of the incoming freshmen identify that as a top goal that they had. It's the highest the survey has seen since 1966. Um, certainly the trend is being driven in part by students taking on uh, debt to, to finance uh, college and a you know, very scary marketplace that they know that they will be entering. As educators, um, how can we balance those fears with the lessons that you speak of, uh, the lessons of positive psychology? Well, uh, positive psychologists have, have studied uh, rather extensively the relationship between income and, and life satisfaction. And there is a relationship, but it starts to tail off. Uh, once you meet your basic needs, um, every additional boost in income adds less and less and less to your, your quality of life. It, it, it's never that it, it becomes negative, but it becomes pretty much a flat line. And um, I encounter this uh, in my students. Uh, it's not just that they want to make a lot of money. They want to get really good grades so they can make a lot of money. And I just, I, I try to um, honor their fears, but but I tell them that there's 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 more to life than just just that. And I tell them about the research, and um, I think that I think they listen. Uh, doing doing well uh, and doing good need not be enemies of one another. That's another point I try to make. Um, um, I also give a, 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 a small lecture in which I say, uh, you know, money is neither good nor bad. It's what you do with the money, and if you use it, you know, for friends and family and community, then by all means, make a lot of money, do good things with it. That's very wise. Despite the, the fact that these students in the survey um, saw being well off financially as an important uh, you know, goal, fewer students uh, saw going after a major or a career in business as the way to achieve that. How, in your mind, Chris, should students approach their course selection to achieve both the professional and, and personal success? and? And are majors still important? Um, and if so, how should a student today choose one? Um, there are a lot of questions embed embedded there. Um, we don't have majors at the University of Michigan. We have what are called concentrations. Uh, 
of course, they are majors. I think the most important thing is that, that students study what they what they're they're passionate about, what what they can become um, uh, highly engaged in, because college is tough enough. If you're going to uh, embark on a course of studies just for some sort of uh, uh, external or extrinsic uh, reason, and you don't like what you're doing, you're just going to be miserable, and you probably won't 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 do well. So I think the most important thing is to find something that that really resonates uh, 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 with with you, and then to pursue that. Now, does it does it have to be a major or a concentration? No, no, of course not. Uh, the other thing that you ask about is how just choosing courses. And uh, there's a disturbing tendency I see among my students, I teach in the psychology department, where they discover psychology, um, they get very excited about it, and then they just load up and take four and five psychology courses a semester. And by the time they're a senior, they've run out of courses to to take. So I think um, uh, the importance of a liberal arts education is the variety of courses uh, that are possible. And maybe you you should save up the, quote, good the good courses and the fun courses, end your college career with, with a real bang. Don't try to sneak into those great courses um, as a sophomore because it's not like you can take them again. Uh, Chick sent me, hi, a, a person I know you're familiar with, uh, calls it flow. Uh, Ken Robinson uh, refers to it as the element, um, that marriage or that place where the things you love to do and the things you're good at kind of come together. Uh, while many students uh, have found those signature strengths, those passions that you speak of, um, many have not. Um, what advice do you have for those? And, and I, I come across uh, many of those in, in, in my uh, discussions with students here at Iowa. Um, those who are frustrated and still searching to find the things that they love to do, the passions, if you will. Well, I, I, I think um, they have to keep sampling. They have to keep exploring. Don't talk themselves out of trying something. Um, sometimes I, I pretend that I'm Socrates and try to have this, you know, uh, conversation with somebody and I go, what kind of food do you like? And they say, oh, I really like Italian food. And I go, well, how did you, how did you learn that you liked Italian food? Well, I went to an Italian restaurant and I tried the, the lasagna and I go, and that's how you should find out uh, what you're passionate about in life. You can't do it uh, by, by just sitting in your dorm room um, in a bowl session with your friends. You got to go out and sample it. And, and this actually reminds me of something I wanted to say earlier when I was addressing courses is that courses are an important part of the university life, but they're only just one part of it. And um, when I advise uh, students, I pay attention to what their course selection is, but I also pay attention to what else they're doing with their life, the, the so-called extracurriculars. And um, it's often in these extracurriculars that that students will 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 find their passions, and they'll also acquire skills that will probably um, uh, pay off down the road in that well-paying job. That's so true. Many many Chris uh, psychologists have have described the the field as a scientific study of, and it, and it's a, obviously the title of your class. What makes life worth living? Um, you're going to be teaching a class at the University of Michigan entitled just that. Could you talk a little bit about uh, how the class will be structured and what you hope your students will learn from it? Well, actually, we've got sev several courses that, that, that f fall under this general title. 
Uh, two of them are taught by one of my colleagues, uh, Nansuk Park. Uh, one of her classes is a freshman uh, 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 seminar. So Michigan does this wonderful thing for incoming students that they all are, are uh, given given the option of taking a uh, a first year seminar that with only 20 students in the class. And so what what she's going to do in her uh, first year seminar, freshman seminar, is to you know have the students uh, do the do the reading, do the do the writing, but also uh, uh, attend events and uh, um, have certain experiences. So one of the things that, that 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 she did last year, she'll probably do it again, is have a chocolate tasting in the class. Uh, for some strange reason, it's a big hit. So talk about you know lessons of savoring. It's not just about not just about chocolate. It's about any pleasurable experience. And how how can you really savor something? How can you throw yourself into it? Um, I'm teaching a upper level course uh, on positive psychology that will that will enroll about 250 students. And like many of our large courses here, there'll be um, a, a lecture and then discussion sections uh, le led by graduate students. And um, again, there'll be the intellectual content, but also the experiential content. So we, we'll give the students um, out-of-class exercises to do, like ri writing a, a gratitude uh, letter, um, uh, doing something that we call the, the secret good deed exercise, which is self-explanatory. You go and you do something good without calling any attention to yourself. And then we ask them to reflect reflect on, on, on those experiences. Uh, and then there's the, there's a third uh, course also taught by my colleague uh, that kind of follows up on this positive, positive psychology course. So it's going to be lar largely seniors and they're going to just uh, jump, jump uh, more deeply into topics of concern to positive psychology um, and with a particular eye toward ap application and, 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 and to research. Um, as positive psychologists, we, we think that the basic science, uh, applied science, is, is largely a false dichotomy. And um, uh, we, we like to uh, quote Kurt Lewin here that saying that, you know, nothing is as practical as a good theory. So in, in, in my own work, um, I, I'm doing a lot of uh, studies in, I guess you'd call them applied settings. I'd rather just say real settings, schools, businesses, uh, uh, even, even the United States military. I know that uh, in reading your work, I know exercises are a thing that you do quite frequently with both the people who uh, read your writings as well as your students. Are there, for this age group, uh, college students, have there been one or two exercises, Chris, that you have found particularly effective, uh, things that uh, have really been aha moments for those that have uh, college age that have tried to uh, partake in them? Well, I've, I've mentioned two of them already. The, 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 the gratitude letter, uh, that, that uh, and sometimes students, oh, no, no, they, they know, they know, I don't need to express my gratitude. And I go, just, just, just humor me, just give it a, give it a try. And um, it's, it's the only time I've ever received uh, letters from the parents of my, uh, my students. You know, I opened these, you know, with a lot of hesitation. I don't know what they were going to say. And one letter said something to the effect, uh, I always wondered why I was spending a quarter of a million dollars to send, to send my kid to college. Now I know. Thank you, and that just made me feel just feel wonderful. Um, another um, um, exercise that I mentioned is this is the secret good deed, 
and um, when students who don't ordinarily do these sorts of things really, really marvel in the fact that you can feel really good without getting any acclaim. It's all internal. Now, the, the third thing that, that I didn't mention, but we, uh, it's very powerful, is that we start uh, these classes, the first or the second week, with what we call serious introductions. So every student tells, tells a story about themselves at their best. Uh, we have to preface this this exercise. It's done in class in front of in front of all the students. Um, that we're we're not asking for uh, them to 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 brag about uh, uh, achievements. Um, rather, we're asking them to tell a story uh, about them at their at their moral best when they they did something did something that that was that was good. And I consider it um, uh, the, this exercise a failure if 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 by the end of it. Um, half the class is not crying, and it's never failed. And it's 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 even uh, even the uh, the fellows in the class, you know, those guys with their baseball caps on backwards, they get very moved. And it's just it's just a wonderful way to bond the class together because it gives the students um, different ways of thinking about uh, about each other. Oh yeah, you're the one in high school who who you know befriended an ostracized uh, classmate. That's a lot better than saying, "Oh yeah, you're in that rowdy fraternity down, you know, down the block." I mean, how would you rather be thought about? And I think, in terms of what you do, what you do well, and that, that's just a very powerful exercise. Oh, thank you, Chris. I, I you mentioned parents, and uh, the flip side to some of those letters are the well-meaning parents who who care deeply about their children's success and are increasingly involved in their son or daughter's college strategies. Um, I recently uh, heard the story of a student who was threatened to be pulled out of school by his parents if uh, he became a music education major instead of the pre-med biology major that his parents wished. Uh, what would you say to these parents? And, and also, what would you say to this student? Wow. Um, I, am, I am not a parent, so it's, it's, it's easy for me to give advice. Um, I don't have to follow it myself. But what I would, I think, I would say to the parent, um, I think, I think I'd be more confident in this advice, is if you raised your child well, and I'm sure you did, uh, you have to trust the uh, trust the decisions that that your child that your child makes. Now, whether that's going to compel anybody, I don't know, but that would be what I would try to convey. And what I would say to the to to the child, the student. Um, I'd, I'd remind them that we're supposed to honor honor our mother and father, but that doesn't mean we have to do everything that they say. You know, honor honor can take uh, different forms. But you know, if, if the parents are threatening to pull the pull the plug on, I, I don't know. That that's a tough one. That's a real tough one. I don't really get involved in in, in those uh, family disputes very often. Thank thank goodness. Well, and certainly, as you know, uh, the parents are feeling a lot of pressure wanting their kids to succeed and seeing certain majors, certain disciplines, which may not be the kid's passion as, uh, as a direction to a, a much more secure job than, than others might be. Yeah, no, and actually, now that, now that I'm thinking on this, I um, read a survey a couple years ago of employers, of, uh, of people who hire a lot of college graduates, and you know, what are you looking for? Uh, in a college graduate, and the the answers were is very uh, consistent. They're looking for somebody who can write, and somebody who can speak, uh, and someone who can listen. Uh, that has nothing to do with 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 what you majored in. It also has little to do with what your grades are. 
um, it's it's certain skills uh, that are produced uh, by a liberal arts education, or at least they should be, um, assuming that the, the students get out of you know take classes other than the ones where they have to fill in little little circles on a on a scan sheet, um, and. Um, I will occasionally have have a parent say to me, "What can my child do with a degree in psychology?" And and my answer is always, uh, "Anything your child desires, um, if they learn these skills." Uh, as someone, Chris, who teaches courses on play and leisure, I know these topics are often marginalized in our culture. Uh, we intrinsically know that they make sense, but um, you know many people see them as utopian. Um, and true change doesn't appear to be arriving anytime soon. What do you think it's going to take, uh, a tipping point, if you will, for you know, some of those issues of, of play and leisure to, uh, to enter our life in a more embracing way? Well, I, th I, I think things are changing. Uh, I, I don't know if there will be a tipping point. I think it will more be like, like a glacier making its way ac across our society. But I think uh, people, people like you... People like me, people like my my colleagues in positive psychology, uh, we're legitimizing uh, discussion of these topics. So, so when when I talk about what makes life worth living, um, the 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 answer is is four four words. It's work, love, play, and service. And play is in there. And I I, I wrote a little little thing on this a while ago. I said that play is not the silly sibling of these other things. It, it's critically important. So. Um, um, but, I, but I don't think we want to just, you know, lecture at people. I think we want to show people. And, um, if, 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 if you and I have a, have a, have a good old time and a great life by, by, um, championing play, somebody's bound to notice that. Uh, Zappos CEO, uh, Tony Shea, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he has a new book right now that's climbing. Uh, the New York Times bestseller list entitled Delivering Happiness. He's actually going to be visiting with my students this fall. Um, in the book, Tony describes how he's applied the research and in his terms, the, he calls it the science of happiness, but it's much of the work of positive psychology, uh, how he's applied that to, uh, to running a business. Uh, Derek Bach um, has a new book out entitled The, uh, the Politics of Happiness, uh, What Governments Can Learn from the New Research of Well-Being. What possibilities uh, does positive psychology now begin to open to us, Chris, in these realms? Well, it's uh, it, it, positive psychology uh, provides just a different way of looking at the human con con condition. So, so much of, of what we do is to look at what goes wrong in life and then try to remedy it. And while that's important, that's just, uh, that's just a half-baked perspective. How about looking uh, additionally at what goes right in life and how, how to increase it. And I think uh, to the degree the positive psych psychologists can, can stay on message and keep that, that reframing going on and do the relevant research, um, you know, maybe, maybe the world will change. Maybe more people will flourish. I, I've mentioned the applied um, uh, studies that I'm doing with my colleagues in, um, in settings, um, you know, such as schools and, and, and businesses. And interestingly to me, I would never have predicted it, but the United States Army is fascinated by positive psychology and they're um, planning to deliver, you know, practical lessons and interventions to all one, one million uh, soldiers. Um, 
building their resilience. That's that that that's one of the the buzz the buzzwords that that uh, positive psychology uh, has introduced. I have just one final question for you, Chris, and it's a it's I know I'm I'm kind of uh, putting you on the spot with this one, but we're creating a set of ten commandments, if you will, for the course. Uh, a list that will articulate a, a kind of unique approach to higher education, uh, the one that we're hoping to foster. And if you were to add one commandment to today's university classroom, what would that be? Um, I'm not sure it's in the form of a commandment, but my favorite uh, saying is, is other people matter. And then I put a semicolon at the end of it and, and say, and we are, we are all other people. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the time, and I, I sure appreciate what the work you're doing, and I'm very uh, pleased to be able to share it with my students. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.